My name is Keith Beavers, and some days, you know, I just need a montage just to get things done. What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to episode 16 of Vine Pair's Wine 101 podcast. My name is Keith Beavers. I'm the tastings director of Vine Pair, and... Because of a movie, a certain wine made from a certain grape became extremely popular in our pop culture and in our wine culture, and it's still popular, and it's gotten crazy, has a fun story. Let's talk about Pinot Noir. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Talbot Vineyards. At Talbot Vineyards, we focus on crafting estate-grown Chardonnay and Pinot Noir in Monterey County's Santa Lucia Highlands. Our celebrated Sleepy Hollow Vineyard is located in one of the coldest grape-growing climates in California, ideal for these two varieties. Here, the brisk wind and fog rolling off Monterey Bay create a long growing season, producing fruit-forward wines with spectacular acidity. We listen to Wine 101. We know what acidity is all about, right? Building on a nearly 40-year legacy of meticulous craftsmanship, Talbot continues to produce highly acclaimed wines of distinction. I gotta be honest with you, wine lovers. This is not easy. This grape, Pinot Noir, that makes this wine, it's just, there's so much. I feel like I need like two episodes just to scratch the surface of this grape. That's a nice setup, right? <laughs> it's, it's insane, you know? And I, I gotta figure out where to start because... I just, it's it's so crazy and old. well. Let's start here. Let's start here. I mean, we all know Pinot Noir is very popular these days, and it's been popular for a long time, specifically in the United States, because of a movie, the 2004 film Sideways. And but the the thing is, through etymological research, through ampelography, you know, detective work for the origins of grapes through exhaustive documentation research and that good old DNA profiling I keep talking about, it has been shown that the Pinot Noir grape has possibly existed for over two millennia. Two millennia. I mean, uh, Jedi wine master Jancis Robinson says that Pinot is considered one of the most important and ancient grape varieties, period. That's cool, man. I mean, a lot of wine grapes are old, like antiquity old, but this, you when, so when you're drinking a Pinot Noir, man, you're just like, hey, I'm drinking a wine made from a grape that is probably two millennia old. Let that sink in for a second. And what's really mind-boggling about this grape is that the wine that it makes, it, it does something to us. There's a reason why there was an entire monologue in the movie Sideways dedicated to this one grape and the wine that's made from it. There is something so charming, soulful, and transcending about a Pinot Noir. When it's made just right, there is, there is no denying that your entire body feels Pinot Noir. Another thing that Jedi wine master Jancis Robinson says is where Cabernet Sauvignon is more of a wine for the head, 
Pinot Noir is a wine for the soul. I'm paraphrasing, but it's sort of something like that. And the way I see it is, Cab- wines like Cabernet Sauvignon, they have such structure to them that there are you can think about them. You know, they're like, okay, there's a, there's an austerity here, and I'm 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 thinking about this wine because of its a- its edges and its angles. Pinot Noir hits you before you can even think about it. When you put your nose in a Pinot Noir that's made it with focus and care, you're you're like, oh my gosh. I mean, you're more about like, wow. You're more reactive to it than you are thinking about it. You eventually will think about it, but it's really one of those soulful, soulful wines. And one of the reasons why we think about this in the wine world is because of the work that was done in Burgundy. We, we have a whole episode on Burgundy, but... And we'll, we won't really get into it too much until that, but the there's a reason why Pinot Noir's heart and soul resides in Burgundy. I mean, there's a thought. I mean, it's thought that it was it's from there, but there's also these other theories that it came from somewhere to there. But whatever happened, it found its home there. But remember last episode, I mentioned there are, there are a few varieties that were like the catalyst of a lot of vines and grape varieties from France and beyond that we know today. I, I mentioned that in the Sauvignon Blanc episode, it was Sauvignon. Well, the other grape was Pinot Noir. And what's nuts is ancient Sauvignon, they think has a genetic relationship with ancient Pinot Noir. If it wasn't for Pinot Noir, we wouldn't even have Chardonnay. And there are places in Burgundy that sometimes call Chardonnay, to this day, Pinot Chardonnay. And we're going to get into that crazy story when we do the Chardonnay episode. Get ready. It's, it's, it's a fun one. That's a fun one. There is evidence that the Pinot Noir vine existed in Burgundy around the 4th century A.D., it wasn't really called Pinot Noir at the time. It's had a bunch of different names. One of the most well-known is Morillon Noir, which is we're not really sure why. There's a couple theories of what that word is. But it wasn't until the 14th century that we started to see documentation about a vine called Pinot. And it's here in northern France, in the Burgundy region, where medieval monasteries were responsible for creating what we know today as the wine Pinot Noir. And something to know about this, the reason why the whole monk monastery thing is important is because this variety is, it has a, in modern times, it has a nickname, the heartbreak grape. Winemakers that work with Pinot Noir throughout history have talked about how hard it is to work with. Um, It has very thin skin. It's very sensitive to climate. It's very sensitive to soil. It's also very sensitive to disease and, and, and fungi. And the, one of the reasons for this sensitivity, more so than other grape bunches, is the fact that the grapes are, they crop so close together and they press up against each other. And sometimes that could be where the sensitivity lies. And that close cropping is actually what's thought to be why it's called Pinot. There's a couple theories, but the most fun theory is that Pinot means pine or pine cone. And when you look at a grape bunch of Pinot Noir, it resembles a pine cone. So that's kind of fun. And, and the reason I say this is because of its sensitivity, because it's fragility, and because it's so hard to work with, of course monks in medieval France would be the ones to figure out how to work with such a fragile grape and make something beautiful out of it. You know what I mean? 
they were monks, you know? They didn't really have, I mean, what did they have to do? That was what they did. Monasteries and monks are the reason we have wine, a lot of the reasons why we have wine today, but this was the beginning of what Burgundy would become. These monks and this grape started really the beginning and the idea of what we know as terroir today. Because of the sensitivity of Pinot Noir, it would express itself differently from one plot to the next, not one mile away, but from one vine row to another vine row. It's a very unique kind of grape. It makes a very unique kind of wine. It's incredibly site-specific. One of the most site-specific wines we have out there, and there are still some Burgundian winemakers today that they say, we don't make Pinot Noir. We use Pinot Noir as a communication of our local soil and geography. And that right there is really the true essence of what terroir is. But Pinot Noir is no longer just a Burgundian variety. There are upwards of 50 clones of this grape. Clone is just a different variant on a Pinot Noir grape that it's more sensitive or has more durability in certain climates. Just to give you a sense, it's about 25 clones of Cabernet Sauvignon, which is one of the most popular grapes in the world. And across the growing regions of the world that do work with Pinot Noir, you're going to find different styles, very distinct styles of Pinot Noir because of its site specificity and the clones that are used in the areas and all that. But generally, Pinot Noir is going to be very kind of fruit forward. It has a nice juiciness to it. And when you pour it into the glass, you'll notice it has less pigment. It's, it's one, of the more, one, of our, one of the lightest red wines that we have. Those two things are definitely going to be consistent throughout the growing regions. But so that this episode is not a 35, 40, 50 minute episode, I want, I want to talk about the, the Pinot Noir styles that you're going to experience on the American market. Because this grape is grown all over the world and it's in emerging wine regions and everything, but we want to t- let's focus on what we can actually get our hands on and enjoy so that we can get a sense of the different styles and find maybe one that you like more than the other, or just maybe like all of them. I like all of them. Of course, the first is going to be France, right? Specifically Burgundy. You're going to see a lot of Burgundy on the market. We have an, an episode that's going to concentrate on that, and we're going to, we're going to kind of give you an idea of, like give, kind of break down what Burgundy is all about. But red wine in Burgundy is Pinot Noir, nothing else. It's only Pinot Noir. So if you see Burgundy, it's Pinot Noir. And in Burgundy, it's one of the most, one of the purest expressions of the variety. Um, mostly it's kind of like light, lean, and elegant, but yet powerful on the fruit. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing, and we're going to get more into that once we do the Burgundian episode. Outside of Burgundy, you have Champagne. Champagne is the, it, well, Champagne has more Pinot Noir under vine than Burgundy itself. So there's a lot of Pinot Noir happening there. Of course, it's all in sparkling wine form. You're not going to see it in, in still wine form. And if it is made in still wine form, you're rarely going to see it outside of France. So there's Burgundy and Champagne. You might see some uh, Pinot Noir from southern France in the Languedoc region. It's often very affordable, kind of like chill it down and knock it back as a fun sort of like weeknight Pinot Noir. Oddly enough, it's not really oddly enough. I mean, Germany is so close to this part of France that it makes sense. But Germany, you're not going to see a lot of it on the American market, but I feel like I have to talk about it because it's really good. <laughs> if you're ever in Berlin, you know, if you're ever traveling in any of the main cities in Germany, if you get a Blauburgunder, that is Pinot Noir in German. They're really awesome. They're a little bit darker, a little more dense. They're a little bit smoky. They're awesome. 
Italy makes Pinot Noir. You're not going to see a lot of it on the American market, but if you do, it's going to be called Pinot Nero. And it's fun, easy, light, punchy, good chilled wine as well. But it's outside, it's outside Europe in the New World where Pinot Noir really takes on very distinct different styles depending on where it's made. On the South Island of New Zealand, in the central part of the South Island, there's a region called Otago. And in the central Otago region, in that mountainous region, a Pinot Noir style is made that's gaining a lot of popularity on the American market. It's more of a full-bodied Pinot Noir. It's big and dark. I mean, the thing is, Pinot Noir is always going to be a light wine. But this is one of the darker, more heavier styles of Pinot Noir while still retaining its balance and acidity. Because Pinot Noir has a ton of acidity in it. It's like this wild sort of chewy fruit, fruit you just want to chew on, very kind of viscous. We know what that means, right? And it almost has like some mocha and some like, like blackberries freshly picked off the vine kind of vibes to it. They're very, very awesome. But what you guys are going to see the most of on the American market out there, no matter where you are, whether it's Sam's Club, a small boutique wine shop, or a supermarket, you're going to see California and Oregon. I would love to do an entire episode on Oregon because the Pinot Noir scene happening there is very cool. The story of how it all got started is a lot of fun. It was in the 1960s, kind of a rebel from California looking for another place to, to plant Pinot Noir. But the Willamette Valley is really the, the main area where Pinot Noir is made. Um, and it's a, very, this is, it's a very diverse region. It's very mountainous and it's very diverse. But what you're going to get... The Pinot Noir you're going to get from Oregon is going to be this incredibly kind of like, it's it's lean and it has this sort of tart cherry fruit to it. The acidity is very high, but it gets enough sun, the grapes, that it produces a good amount of sugar. So you have this sort of like light, punchy, tart, almost herbaceous Pinot Noir. And then when oak is put on it, like a lot of oak on it, it really denses out. It, can, it retains its kind of pale, palish, like low pigment color, but it has a little more density to it. And there's all these different sub-regions and satellite regions around Willamette Valley with names like the Dundee Hills or Eola Amity or Yam Hill, Carlton. Each one has very kind of like slight differences in style. So it's fun, it's fun to check out. So California, guys, California is our biggest wine industry, right? This is, this is where we, we make it all. This is where Cabernet Sauvignon is king. And we're going to go into Cabernet Sauvignon. We have a whole episode on that. But Pinot Noir in California has some different styles, for, depending on where you get it. In the north, you have Sonoma and you have Napa. And Sonoma is very famous for its Russian River Valley. And in that valley, in that region, you get a very big, powerful, full-bodied, inky Pinot Noir. It is, it is a place where Pinot Noir can get up to like 16% alcohol. They're big, but they can also be very balanced. It depends on who's making the wine, but you have a lot of sun, you have a lot of kind of uh, low-lying areas, but you also have a lot of fog to cool the grapes. It's a pretty cool place. Big, powerful Pinot Noirs, but fun to try. Over neighboring in Napa, there's a, a sub-region of Napa Valley called Carneros, and that's one of the coolest regions in Napa. And some really awesome Pinot Noir comes out of Carneros. It's very big. They're big. They're big, powerful Pinot Noirs, but they have this acidity to them that just lifts that intensity up a little bit. There's a, it's kind of a nice, weighty, balanced, good acidity Pinot Noir. Now, those are the ones you're really going to see a lot of. Sonoma, Russian River, Carneros. But you, there's, there's 
we can't forget Monterey County. I feel Monterey County has some of the coolest Pinot Noirs. It's in the central coast of California. And we're again, we got, we have a whole California episode. We're going to get into all this, but the 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 Pinot Noir from Monterey is very unique. It's the, one of the only Pinot Noirs I've really been like, oh my gosh, I smell cinnamon and cherries like full stop. This area in the Central Coast has just has great maritime breezes, and the Pinot Noir, but it's, it's but it's very sunny. So the Pinot Noir is like, it's like, it's like this bright, juicy, tart, chewy, lifty, not too heavy cinnamon and cherry awesomeness. I love the wines from the Pinot Noirs from Monterey. They're very cool and very different. And those are the Pinots you're going to see on the market. You're going to see New Zealand. You're going to see California. You're going to see Oregon. You're going to see France. You might see a little bit of Italy and you might see a little bit of Germany. But like I said, there are plenty other places in the world that make great Pinot Noir. Actually, New York State is doing really awesome with Pinot Noir. Some of the best stuff's coming from like just up near Canada, the Niagara Escarpment. The stuff is Nice, beautiful acidity, awesome, a little bit mocha. It's it's awesome stuff. And like I said, I could go on. There's good Pinot Noir making, being made in Slovenia, Croatia, Romania, Moldova, South Africa, um, man, Israel. There's so much great Pinot Noir being made, but we don't have enough time to go into every single one of them. And you're not really going to see them often on the American market. I hope at some point more places in the world do that because this this this, this grape... Like I said, it's so site-specific, and it has so many different clones. There's so much that a winemaker can play with. And if a winemaker decides they want that kind of stress <laughs> to make Pinot Noir, they're going to do everything they can to make the best Pinot Noir they can. One thing to say about the United States, when you buy a wine from the United States and it says Pinot Noir on it, just know that the 75% rule applies to every wine. So if it says Pinot Noir on the label, it's not always going to be 100% Pinot Noir. It only has to be 75%. So sometimes when you buy Pinot Noir that's a lower price point, there's more of it being made. The more of it is made, the more they're making up that volume with something else like Merlot or something. I don't know what they use. They won't tell you what they use. But just, just that's a disclaimer, you know. I mean, Pinot Noir is expensive. It's going to be a little bit more pricey because it's a harder grape to work with. There's a lot of labor involved, a lot of love involved, and it's sometimes a lower yield because of its, you know, finickiness. That's just a little disclaimer for you. But the thing is, even Pinot Noir, that's a little bit less expensive, and even if it has something else blended in it, doesn't mean it's not good. It's just not 100% Pinot Noir. That's totally fine. Whew, like I said, I wish I had a whole other episode to get into all different kinds of stuff. There's a little more history and stuff, but this will get you started on the different styles of Pinot Noir. You know a little bit of the background, where it's from, how important it is in the wine world, and all the different styles, so you got it. If you're digging what I'm doing, picking up what I'm putting down, go ahead and give me a rating on iTunes or tell your friends to subscribe. You can subscribe. If you like to type, go ahead and send a, you know, a review or something like that. But let's get this wine podcast up so everybody can learn about wine. Check me out on Instagram. It's at VinePairKeith. I do all my stuff and stories. And also, you've got to follow VinePair on Instagram, which is at VinePair. And don't forget to listen to the VinePair podcast, which is hosted by Erica, Adam, and Zach. It's a great deep dive into drinks culture every week. Now for some credits. How about that? Wine 101 is recorded and produced by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the VinePair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mellon. 
And I also want to thank Daniel Grinberg for making the most legit Y101 logo. And I gotta thank Darby Seaside for making this amazing song. I mean, listen to this epic stuff. And finally, I want to thank the Vine Pair staff for helping me learn more every day. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Talbot Vineyards. At Talbot Vineyards, we focus on crafting estate-grown Chardonnay and Pinot Noir in Monterey County's Santa Lucia Highlands. Our celebrated Sleepy Hollow Vineyard is located in one of the coldest grape-growing climates in California, ideal for these two varieties. Here, the brisk wind and fog rolling off Monterey Bay create a long growing season, producing fruit-forward wines with spectacular acidity. We listen to Wine 101. We know what acidity is all about, right? Building on a nearly 40-year legacy of meticulous craftsmanship, Talbot continues to produce highly acclaimed wines of distinction.